Okay, hello. I hope this sounds good. I am your miserable creature. The one, the only. Chatty Kathy. I could go on and on about why I did not like ever the name Kathy. And if you weren't alive in the late 80s and or cognizant of what Kathy, who Kathy was, I mean, of course there's the Kathy cartoons and um, they... How to put this? Um, Kathy Guyswhite, who created Kathy, um, God bless her. You know what? She did what she did well. She syndicated it in a very Garfield esque way, you know, as opposed to the man that I might call. Um, the Holden Caulfield famous cartoonists Bill Watterson who did Calvin and Hobbes he never licensed shit uh, he his whole thing was like there was the work he didn't want it elsewhere um now I'm thinking about all the shit I have to say about the far side. I'm already so far off track. People call me chatty, Kathy. Uh, yes. I've always been chatty. And uh, I am now <laughs> recording this very spooky episode in my car. Because I thought the sound quality would be better. But I'm also <laughs> wearing a really crinkly rain jacket. <laughs> so... First, I thought about sitting in the passenger side uh, so that, um, well, so that I could smoke dope in my car without the cops coming by and deciding I'm driving high, which doesn't make any sense. Weed is legal here now, but there's so many cans. (laughs) There's so many cans and coffee cups on the floor passenger side of my car. And that should tell you what my life is like. Right now, teaching community college, living, a lot of changes happening, Uh, a lot of stuff is moving around, some real big fucking personal shit, and I can't really talk about it right now, it's not just my thing to talk about and also I'm just trying to put one fucking foot in front of the other and uh wow so many things anyway I thought I would pop in in this very loud car um raincoat scenario scenario and I would try reading you um, a Jezebel spooky 
scary story from the winners. Here's the thing. I didn't read them. And I'm now just in my car, a little bit stoned, and I am scrolling through scary stories and trying to talk and like not doing either well, which is pretty much exactly what it's like trying to be on a phone call with me when it's your turn to talk. Uh... <laughs> so I'm not going to read the scary story. I'm going to have to actually sit and read them. And so my, I feel like of all podcasts that aren't about ghosts, I kicked off the Halloween season so early and so hard. And then now it's November 1st and <laughs> sorry, it's the second. Um, I did run out tonight on a Friday night. <laughs> to catch the 715 of Bohemian Rhapsody, went by myself, packed theater, uh, so ended up sitting next to some really cool older women, uh, dare I say goddesses, who were just rocking out the whole movie. <laughs> Definitely cried a bit, um, an emotional journey. Uh, Rami Malek was great. Uh, his performances were incredible. I also could not, not picture Sasha Baron Cohen doing the same movie. Um, and that's not to say like, oh, what we didn't have, but rather to say, also, I have a giant soda from the movie theater with tons of ice in it. So my sound quality notions are not always the most clearly thought out. So somebody tonight reminded me that, uh, you know, of course my life's blown up a bit, things are happening and I, uh, I, I gave myself, uh, a week to not record anything, but so many times when things have been crazy in my life, I have had to start and stop things. Inktober, anybody? <laughs> it's National Novel Writing Month and I'm getting the emails and I'm like, there is no way I can do like five really hard committed days to something and then just fuck off when it's supposed to be a whole month. Um, so... Sorry to disappoint not starting any novels this November, um, but I um, am going to Amsterdam for the holidays to see my younger sister, who's an incredible, incredible human being. And uh, then <laughs> while I'm there for my break in between semesters, my sister is going to be uh, going to see some family and, um, I'm going to be just hanging out in Amsterdam. <laughs> so if anyone has any Amsterdam recommendations, um, uh, my cousin, my cousin Emily, who I also had the great honor of kind of like tricking her into driving down to my brother's wedding in New Hampshire with me. But the alternative she had, I would like to point out, was being in a van with four people over 60. 
for six hours. And I said, look, I called her up. She's young. She's much younger. Like she was like a toddler when I was like a surly nineties, 14 year old. Um, (laughs) I'm like, do you want, listen, I said to her, do you want to drive down in a van with, with our elders? And she was like, I mean, I don't mind. (laughs) I was like, or (laughs) do you want to drive with me? And, uh, I mean, given the state of cans in my car right now, you can imagine how pleasant it must have been for her to drive in my car. Her father literally was like, do you want me to vacuum your car out for you? And I was like, no. He's like, okay, but I think you do. And I was like, no, 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 leave it. (laughs) He's like, okay. That's about how together I have it in the car department. Signed up to a crafts fair again. What am I thinking? <laughs> uh, I will make some fun crafts and sell them at the gay crafts fair that the uh, the Rainbow Rails, the Waterloo Queer uh, Film Festival. Uh, they do a Everything they do is amazing. I had a show I did for them uh, for the film festival for Rainbow Reels. And I, I did um, a show that was like a fundraiser show. And then at the festival, I also ended up doing a set at the show. And uh, had a great time. Had a fucking amazing time. And uh, it's funny because I don't do comedy enough, frequently enough right now to build up material to a place where I want it so that when I'm closing, as I found out when I got to the show, they're like, you're closing. And then they're like, no, wait, are you? Yeah, I guess you are. Okay. And I was like, I'm closing or am I going on next? Because it was like up, it was up to the wire. So instead of getting up there and doing jokes, some of my jokes I have, they're like old. They just don't feel like they don't have that verve to them that I should have recorded an album ever uh, of these jokes when they were at their zenith, um, but I didn't. I waited until they just got really watery, watery and dilute and like they need to be concentrated, you know, like a burst of uh, a burst of flavor. So what I did at this Rainbow Reels show uh, for the festival, which, by the way, is a a wicked festival. They put on some really cool programming and you should all support Rainbow Reels with, uh, you know, your time, your dollars, your love. Um, I got up and there had already been several comics up before me all friends, all people I could totally feel comfortable roasting a little bit. And, uh, my friend Susie, um, Susie Taka, who can I also say is like, um, pretty much the, 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 she's responsible for like 70% of the bookings I've done this year. (laughs) Uh, but she, um, they had done their monthly show, LOL, and it was the last one. And I was going to get up there and roast them. But Susie and Aaron, this 
co the co-producer Aaron White, who's like a hilarious woman as well. Uh, they're both just fiercely talented, amazing people. And <laughs> she wasn't there, so I wasn't gonna roast them when they were weren't both there. That's just rude. It's not fun if the person's not there to be like, oh hey, here I am being a good sport about this. <laughs> so. I just got up and just said something, anything that came to mind pretty much from the other comic sets. And uh, Dana Wallace, another hilarious local, uh, very talented woman, uh, was there in the audience. So I was giving shout outs to her saying that she was my agent because she was wearing a blazer. And uh, she gave me the look that only another comic can give you when you're razzing them and it's just for you and them and nobody else in the room even fucking knows what's going on. Um, it was a great night. It was a great night. But it was it gave me this burst where I was like, fuck, this is why I like doing stand up comedy, because this is going to sound like so pretentious. But if you get up there and it's good, and you're on, you're in the moment, it's like jazz. It's just like the best jazz, because you're, you're just riffing, you're playing with the audience, or with your fellow performers, and it's just like, it's fun, and I had a fun time, and uh, I think, you know, it felt good to do a show with an audience that I was like, yes, here we all are, let's do this, they were a great crowd. And, and to be honest, it was very likely a lot of the same people in that crowd who were at the uh, the cabaret I had done for Rainbow Reels uh, earlier in the fall. And um, you know what? Who's to say? Maybe they loved it again, all over again. Because that time, I think I really was just having fun with whatever was happening in the room. And, uh, you know, people like that. I like that. But I, I started to say this a while ago and I, my phone's going to die. So now here's the thing. My battery's going to die. <laughs> my battery's going to die and I'm um, wearing a very crinkly, loud jacket. I don't know how this is going to sound. I've got a loud, rattly soda pop. Somebody reminded me that podcasting is a, is a compliments-based medium because somebody complimented me and they said they listen to the podcast. Shout out, huge shout out to Jess Lynch. Jess Lynch was the person I met being a background artist on the first season of The Handmaid's Tale. And the second we started talking, I don't even remember what we started talking about. I think we were just talking about the book, The Handmaid's Tale. And then it was like, we just like, we were like, bam, we're the coolest people here. And we were. That's the funny thing. And uh, there was another gal that we were also hanging with a bunch. I can't remember her name for the life of me. A lot of cool ladies uh, working on that set in background as a meat props for very cool artistic like the visual people on the handmaid's tale my god meticulous just like good for them they're killing it there's gonna be more 
they're shooting again. And uh, I put my name in the ring because after season one, I wasn't available um, to do background. And then I just never got any emails again. And um, all I got to say is there's a Martha costume out there that they made to my specifications and some other chick has probably been wearing it all last season rude um but just lynch lynch gave me a compliment she said she listened to the podcast she liked it and it meant a lot to me you know uh but it reminded me that i have some podcast based compliments And I'm burying them way in the show so that the people, maybe I'll like tag them in some kind of social media, but then they'll have to listen to this whole thing. Uh, (laughs) Just, it'll be like a fast forwarding. They have it on like two times speed. Um, (laughs) Nick Flanagan Weekly. Weekly, as in W-E-A-K-L-Y, Nick Flanagan Weekly, the podcast, has been truly inspirational because this man, who I would like to add is responsible for one of my very rare uh, booked shows (laughs) that I've done in the past six months in Waterloo, And Nick has always been just like a hero and a champion of comedy, both in being supremely funny and also being one of those people who will just get up and do the jazz. I mean, he's like a hardcore guy. He's like, I don't know. He's like a, is he punk rock? What are you, Nick Flanagan? Um, Nick Flanagan does his podcast four days a week. And it's truly inspirational. You should check it out. He's so funny. It, the best thing about it was that I got a random email one day from a woman named Shelly Marshall, who's a very um, talented uh, one-woman show. She has a show called Hold Mommy Cigarette. And she also um, puts on a lot of cabarets. She's from Hamilton. So when she's in town, she uh, she she emailed me being like, hey, are you in the area? Do you want to do a show in Hamilton? I was like, yes. And I went, it was like a couple days later and I went and who was there but Todd Graham. And Todd Graham is one of my absolute favorite comedians. Full stop. Like just to watch him sometimes is like such a transcendent experience because he'll just do something he's just so like steadfast and like since like his he has this like deadpan and you're like is he sincere or is he like incredibly sardonic and it just like goes back and forth but Todd Graham was on the show and I had to leave because I had like an hour drive home I didn't even get to see a set that night but it was so great to see him because I love him so much and um who did we talk about but Nick Flanagan how he came up I can't remember. We just agreed. We Nick Flanagan. He's great. And then I ended up uh, seeing Nick at a show. And I told Nick how Todd and I said, we both think Nick is the best. And in fact, when I brought Nick up, (laughs) I ceded my time as a host to Nick because I would rather watch him do, you know, 
15 minutes than me could do two and him feel like he has to do less or something. I don't know. All this to say is Nick Flanagan. Very funny. And Nick put me on a show in Waterloo and I hosted this show. It was great. They do this show at the Princess Cinema Cafe uh, in Waterloo. And if you're in Waterloo, check her out. They do a great job with all their events over there at the Princess uh, Cafe. And they, like, gave the comic soup. Like, I, everybody was, like, eating food. And, like, I was like, yo, can I get a cookie? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they, the staff there are incredible. They run a really cool um, room. And uh, it was a fun time. Posted a picture of that show, of Nick on that show, because there's like a big moon behind him on Instagram. You can go on my Instagram and see that, at McCormcorp, M-C-C-O-R-M-C-O-R-P. Still regretting that one a bit, but I love the the nickname McCormcorp came from a non-profit job I did at a film festival 10 years ago. It's like an inside joke. And, uh, I just kept it. It, It's a clunky, clunky to spell out. There's a lot of C's happening in there. Um, but I want to give a shout out to Nick Flanagan Weekly, the podcast. You're killing it, Nick. (laughs) How are you doing it? Could I do it four days a week? No, no, just absolutely not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even say that. Not to say that it wouldn't, like, motivate me to record shorter episodes more often, which I think is a value to the more frequent posting schedule. You can do shorter episodes. Um, yeah. Crazy. Um, Nick had um, uh, uh, just an incredible comedian, uh, Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall, on his Nick Weekly, Nick Weekly, Nick Flanagan (laughs) Weekly podcast. Nick Weekly, what if he changed it? He could. Um, (laughs) Scott Thompson, it was a really nice, uh, it it was just like a great two-part interview. They go deep on a lot of stuff. They, they talked about a whole bunch of different things. It was a really fun listen. And uh, I highly recommend if you are somebody who loves comedy, if you are somebody who loves, um, you know, queer history, um, if you are somebody who loves, you know, just Canadian icons, uh, the kids in the hall, huge. Like anyone who grew up in Canada in that era, it was like a foundational funny thing just in the way that I feel like in Canada there is a reverence for our comedian talent that goes beyond just the obvious like oh my god like Jim Carrey <laughs> Jim Carrey's a legend who's gonna who's gonna pretend that Jim Carrey is it you know what I'm saying but it's like we have this love of our comedians that like, like I would actually, I'm not joking. I would take a bullet for Catherine O'Hara. Um, 
I would. I just, there's nothing, any moment she's on screen in anything, even in things where she's vastly underserved as a character, but like she just makes everything so good and funny and like alive. I remember when I was a teenager in New Hampshire, in rural New Hampshire, um, my mom worked at the grocery store uh, and the grocery store was like right down the hill from the trailer park on a hill that we lived in. And <laughs> you went down a hill, you went up a hill. And in fact, this grocery store was on, in a plaza that I remember we had visited my mom a few years before we moved to New Hampshire. We moved in 1993, 1993 and pivotal, huge year. Um, but we... I remember we had visited and there was like this little hill. And then the next time we were in town, they had like cut off the top of the hill and they were putting in a, like a, a Walmart and a grocery store. <laughs> we were like, where'd the top of that hill go? Oh, they're putting in a Walmart. Okay. Later, years later, we would end up living in the mobile home park across like down a huge, crazy, like the type of grade of hill that you could not drive a commercial truck down safely. And uh, hilariously enough, my brother worked delivering mattresses for a, a good spell and they would drive the box truck up and down this hill that was just like unsafe at any speed. Like once it got icy, it was like treacherous. But um, there's like a guy walking around my neighborhood swinging hockey stick over his head I'm not even joking it's like midnight well that's spooky holy shit well the doors are locked and I don't think he knows I'm gonna be home I think it might have just been a team going to go shoot his tennis ball in the tennis court at the private club Slash pool down the road. Anyway, my mom would later work at this grocery store on the hill that they cut the top off of to put the plaza in. And she worked in customer service. And she um, had, <laughs> so the customer service desk also did the video section of the store because this is like the blockbuster was like up the highway and it wasn't far but like in the death deathly grips of winter do you really want to fucking go, drive five minutes up the highway or do you want to go across the street right they had movies but the thing about the VHS movies they had is they they didn't have the need or desire I guess the VHS were so cheap and like everywhere that they would literally instead of spending the postage to ship them back to get repackaged and sold they would just sell them once they were done with them anything that was like every month they'd go through all the movies and anything that hadn't been rented a certain amount of times in the past however many months would go in this bin and they were all like two bucks because they were used they were rental copies you know they'd been watched god knows how many times but um, <laughs> so what it meant was all the weirder, like indie movies would be always be in this bin for $2. And I was like a huge and am huge cinema buff. 
I was like a fucking asshole. Like when I got to university and I took film, film studies classes and I got super into like the most pretentious, arty, weird shit. And I had professors that got us into really weird shit and I love them for that. But also like they, they really fed a beast in me, um, that I didn't really get out of. It took a lot of, you know, studying, you know, feminist film theory and like understanding the notion of like different cinemas and different visual. I got, I can't go on. I can't even get into it. Um, I almost went to grad school. Okay. I was really deep. Like I was deep. Um, I'll have to tell some fucking film theory stories another day. <laughs> so many. Um, all the weirder movies would end up in sale in the grocery store video store section for $2. And so I would end up getting all these just fucking pivotal movies to me. Pivotal movies to me. Like Beautiful Thing, which was like this Brit, this movie about these two gay boys, like working class boys in, in London. Were they in London? I don't even fucking remember. Uh, beautiful Thing. Um... Uh, Foxfire, the very gay, like, neo-third wave feminist, neo? Not even neo, like OG third wave feminist, cult classic, um, where the girls all tattoo each other's breasts, and Jenny Lewis, a young Jenny Lewis, who was right about to go from being a child actor uh, who had a pretty rocky childhood from all reports to becoming one of the hugest uh, music musicians music stars you know she was in a hit band and then was a hit solo artist but before all of that she was a child actress who I always had a crush on yeah Angelina was you know, androgynous and fucking hot, like, fine, fine. But Jenny Lewis was where it's at. She was cute. I remember she played, like, Ben Seaver's girlfriend for one episode on, um, shit, Growing Pains. God, if I couldn't remember that, I couldn't remember my own middle name. Uh, Growing Pains, huge, huge show also. Uh, but anyway, Jenny Lewis played Ben Seaver's uh, girlfriend, one episode and I remember being smitten with her and you know by extension I feel like all redheads thenceforth thenceforth thither to four but Jenny Lewis she would take a weird sort of transition path from her childhood acting where she was in like Troop Beverly Hills she was in everything for years right to, and then she did this weird side jig where she was in Foxfire, which is based on a Joyce Carol Oates novel, which is nothing like the movie, but also its own thing. And then, um, then she was in this Leonardo DiCaprio, like independently made quote unquote, like movie that was like called Dawn's Plum. And it takes place in a restaurant and I've seen it but like it wasn't good and 
I just wanted to, I was just there for Jenny Lewis. Big, I love Jenny Lewis. Everything she's ever done is just like magic. Um, that said, and this is bringing me all the way back around to what I was talking about so I can finish this episode before my cell phone dies because I cannot turn on my car engine to charge my phone and record at the same time. And it would be super loud. Uh, but, um, all that to say, um, I haven't seen the guy with the hockey stick in a while, by the way. So that's what part A good news. Part B, um, one of the movies I got from the bin from the grocery store, uh, customer service video section, uh, across the street, from the trailer park we lived in on a really steep hill. Um, one of the movies I got was Waiting for a Guffman. And, the, and they looked it up for me when I bought it because the guy, one of the guys who worked there was very sassy. And I was the only person who had been checking it out for so long that they finally were like, we decided as a team to let you have this for free. That same guy also was a lawyer who worked at the customer service counter at the grocery store and once represented my brother in legal legal proceedings for free. And if that ain't white privilege, I don't know what is because we live in a fucking trailer park, okay? But we still knew a lawyer. I love you, Brian. That's my brother. I don't want him to think I'm busting on him. He will never listen to this. I promise you. I promise you. But if he does, (laughs) what up, man? Love you. Going to his wedding was a real trip. It was like a blast from the past. I never even really talked about it as much as I meant to talk about it. Um, So, waiting for Guffman. They, they gave it to me. The staff of the grocery store gave it to me as a gift for being the only loser who would continue renting the same movie over and over again until they said, just take it. But Catherine O'Hara in all those Christopher Guest movies and, and so many things, just like that movie, Waiting for Guffman, it's like even people who know Best in Show people who know spinal tap like people there's like people who go a certain way with it but like waiting for Guffman like it's just there's nothing about it that isn't incredible and um yeah all all of the performances in it are so funny and like I don't know just nothing beats it you know, very little beats it. And we were talking to um, some family friends who um, they're, they have a cottage up in cottage country near my father-in-law's. And Catherine O'Hara is from up there. And they were like, oh, yeah, we all know her. We all went to high school with her. This was at like a weird pot party we were at, um, at the cottage and with all these like neighbors and stuff. And I was just like, what? Like, <laughs> I'm, 
you know Catherine O'Hara, but like way back old school. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, wow. Like, how lucky are you? Just to know her, just to have her in your in your history, in your personal history. But she's in my personal history because Beetlejuice, like, she's a redhead too, come to think of it. You know what? This thing goes deep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this redhead love has taken a toll on me. The, uh, I think the, the number one redheads, like for me, were mostly like Anne of Green Gables, Pippi Longstocking, spunky gals were my thing. I would say, you know, Punky Brewster, she wasn't a redhead, but she was spunky. Uh, just like scrappy heroes, you know, um, Jenny Lewis, though, she was there for sure. Huge. I can do a whole episode about Foxfire, guys. I, mm, you know, every time my life is going through a lot of changes, it's a personal mantra for me, but it holds true to this day. Now I am 36 in a couple of weeks and it's true. I, um, I always say to myself, if you're thinking about applying to grad school, stop, take a breath and reassess your priorities and your values. Why? Because it just never seems to go well for people. And that's not to say that no one goes to grad school and, and has a good time or does great. But I feel like grad school is, for some of us, it's like this, it's like this symbol of like, well, I'll just sign myself over to this thing that's going to take everything I have in me to do. And uh, there's a lot of people that have that with other things, with their careers or whatever. Um, <laughs> but for me, grad school, when I'm thinking about it, it means that I feel like as it was my first grad school was like the first thing I really mulled as a young adult who was about to be on like, and I had been on my own, but like truly alone for the first time in my adult life. And, you know, I had some people, you know, like academically who were really encouraging it and being like, Oh yeah, like do this, do this, whatever you can get funding or, and I just, I knew if I went to grad school it for me was going to be a representing just delaying everything a little bit longer. And I just didn't want to do that, you know? And it's funny because I did go back to school for a year and would have been cl almost closer to a master's if I had just stuck it out one more year and just done a master's. Um, because I had enough graduate credits um, because I was taking graduate level classes, but I was only getting a second bachelor's degree. I did that for one year. Again, why? Because I was just in a holding pattern of like, I don't know. I don't know what's next. This will be the thing that's next. 
Um, so I am very excited to go to Amsterdam. I am going to be hanging out with my sister and her dogs. Her dogs have been uh, excommunicated. Uh, they were exiled. They got kicked out of Switzerland. <laughs> being too poorly behaved and I only laugh because my dogs are also like just rascals and like what my dogs would for sure get kicked out of Switzerland but it's just such a classic problem to have but in her case she had to like send her dogs to live in Serbia and basically got the dogs an apartment And this is how much of a baller my little sister is. I can't call her my little sister now that she's 30. I think I have to stop. My younger sister. My motivated, intelligent, powerhouse of a sister. uh, She is getting her dogs back from Serbia finally because she lives in Amsterdam. And um, so I'm really excited because I haven't seen her dogs in years because we've both been living all over the fucking place. And never get a chance to hang out. So I'm excited because we're going to get to hang out one-on-one. We saw each other at the wedding, but it was just like, it's like every time I see my sister Liz, it's just like, I see it's a good rule that there's like a 72 hour maximum on like straight family hangouts of just like, I'm just going to hang, not straight as in heterosexual, but rather, um, straight as in like I can't see you for 72 hours straight and then continue to be a human being that's not a monster um and that's on me that's not them but it's that's me and at the wedding I mean by the time I got to see Liz I was already on like hour 48 and then um I I also had like a really painful neck I hurt my neck (laughs) I like cranked my neck and then I drove five hours to Ottawa and then the next day I drove or two days later I drove six hours to New Hampshire and then I did it all in reverse in one go because I'm nuts but my sister when she got there had just come off of a week at a friend's wedding in Trinidad um and so she was uh or sorry Tobago she was there and, um, she, (laughs) she was like at a wedding, it was like party time and she and her boyfriend, the, the one with the restaurant in his family, um, I met them after they'd been already, um, traveling all over the place and they got to New Hampshire and I was just like, all right guys, I don't drink anymore, but I will smoke cigarettes and smoke a little bit of weed and then just chat at you for like way too long. And uh, it was nice, but I think we both kind of wished it was a crazy, there's so much family there and it's like all the navigating and weird, like things you have to do when a bunch of family are in a space, even if it's not bad, but it's just like, um, you can't get away or you, you can, but you feel bad or you're doing one thing or not another. And it's, you know, family, it's life. Um, but 
I'm very excited to see my sister. And um, I also think that I will probably... I, I always made the joke that I want to do mushrooms and go to the Anne Frank house. Like, but I would never do that out of respect. I'm very excited to go to the Anne Frank house. And, um, it's like, uh, again, like when we're talking about foundational things, like Anne Frank's diary to me and in such a particular progression, because I remember reading it when I was nine, you know, and, it just like hit me like a ton of bricks that also combined with Lois Lowry's number, the stars, which was also set, uh, in the Netherlands and, um, is about, you know, um, the Holocaust and, um, just the lead up to it. And, um, I remember those, those things hitting me so hard when I was young, very young. And then I got a copy of the unedited Anne Frank diary, saucy stuff, guys, (laughs) saucy stuff in there. It was all the stuff that Otto Frank took out when they printed it the first time. (laughs) When you think about it, I mean, he was just being a, an editor and a father. And I think the problem is that when you're so close, when something's so visceral to you, I mean, that's his child. It's like you can only want to protect her. And the unabridged version I got as like an adolescent, like a young adolescent. And it like, again, fucking blew, just blew the top of my skull off and it, It made me consider things and realities outside of my own and just, just the incredible humanity of a girl my age knowing the horrible things that were to befall her and going through this journey with her such a powerful thing to read and also it it's weird to say but I never wanted to see it on stage I never wanted to go like I think maybe I was like oh like I feel like seeing Natalie Portman when she did it maybe would have been a a really incredible experience but I also feel like the problem when you fictionalize real people and you make them you take them away from their own words which are truly powerful and real and raw and remarkable and you make them a character um I don't know it it stops being as much about the biographical real experience of this person and more about watching and sort of the um the fraught things that come with that you know I think for me to go to the Anne Frank house is going to be really really important and also just the um 
the entire, you know, Jewish history of Amsterdam, there's a Jewish quarter, you know, there's um, a lot of things in Amsterdam that I am really um, looking forward to getting to experience and see. And um, it's funny because my mom went for three weeks and I'm going for three weeks. And my sister at my brother's wedding, all she did, and this is how my sister is, she's a terrier. She, she just she grabs something and just shakes it until it just gives up and dies. But she, she said so many times, like, nobody comes to visit me. I have a two-bedroom apartment, so people will come visit me and nobody comes to visit me. And I say to Liz, you, ye reap what ye sow. Okay, ye reap what ye sow. <laughs> because I am coming for three weeks. And I said, are you sure? Now, granted, she's going to be out of the country for like 10 days of the three weeks I'm there. So it's a little different because also I wouldn't, I wouldn't stay there the whole time if she was there the whole time. I would do a side trip and go to Paris or something. And that's not to say that I don't want to hang out with my sister straight through all that time, but it's like, she's got to live her actual day-to-day life because it's over the holidays. It's a different story, you know? Um, but I'm excited. I've never been to Europe and, uh, you know, I'm going to eat a lot of cheeses trying to stay off the sugar, which made Halloween a bit hard. And I had to actually give in to myself in other ways to make up for it. Like, I bought a bag, a bought one of those boxes of bags of like little chips bags you give out to kids. I bought a, a I bought a box of 24 bags of chips, mini mini bags of chips for children um because I told myself I could not eat any candy. Because the thing with me and candy is it's like if I drank sugar soda or with alcohol, which I don't drink anymore because it's ugly what happens, especially to my mood and my depression. But sugar hits me the same way. It affects me just as much, which is why I can't drink like fruit juice. Or I love diet soda, but I, which I should also shouldn't drink. Um, but I, and I'm not saying that prescriptively. I'm saying like I specifically, because of my stomach, shouldn't drink a lot of diet soda. And I drink gallons of it. Gallons of it. It's like my last true vice other than... No, I have a few. I'm not going to go there. I have a few, but I'm not, you know, I like a diet Coke. I can't help it. But sugar Coke, like regular Coke makes me crazy. Like I hit the roof and people say, oh, hyperactivity from sugar isn't a thing. It is for me. And um, it also makes me crash super hard. And this is the treat season. We're going into the treat season. And so I have said to myself, you may um, indulge in any treats you desire, you, um, but they can't have ref- refined sugar in them. That's it. You want an apple? Eat a fucking apple. And so I've been eating an apple every night, just crunching one before bed, being like, I wish this was a sweet treat. But I find that my mood is a lot better. Um, if I limit my sugar intake and I went to the movies, like I mentioned, and I said, all right, I'm getting a popcorn and a hot dog, sat down, 
I was seven minutes into the previews because the line at the snacks was so long. And then I bite into my hot dog and it's fucking ice cold. (laughs) I was so mad. I like got up. I like put my popcorn on my seat and like I fucking marched up to the guy. And before he could even say anything, he's like, are you okay? And I was like, this is ice cold and I'm, this is disgusting. And he's like, can I get you a new one? And I was like, no, I want my money back. And then I was like, wait give me a slice of pizza. Is it the same price? And he's like, and he had to check and he's like, yes, it is. And I was like, give me a slice of pizza. He's like, you sure you don't want another hot dog? I'll make sure it's cooked. And I'm like, I never want, I looked at him and I go, I never want to eat a hot dog again. And then I stormed off. Uh, I didn't really storm off right then. I I waited for him to give me the slice of pizza. I kind of killed the ending of that story by undermining my own statement but all right I'm really out of wind I'm out of wind uh that was long-winded and again I don't know when or what I'm going to record next if you have any compliments uh send them my way if you because this is a compliment based format If you have any suggestions, like don't wear a raincoat and record in the car at night, you dummy. That was scary. Remember with the guy with the hockey stick? Uh, Also, um, I would like for you, find me on Twitter at McCormcorp, M-C-C-O-R-M-C-O-R-P, Uh, or Instagram, wherever you are, find me on the thing. I'm on Facebook. I have a fan page on Facebook like that. That always makes me feel nice when someone likes that. It's a good time. Um, thank you for listening. And, uh, I will come back at some point to read a Jezebel spooky story. I prometra, je prometra. Oh, here, I wanted to try this one out for you. What if um, people who listen to this, I will refer to all of you as Mes Miserables. <laughs> May, instead of Les Miserables, Mes Miserables, because that's a French joke, which is to say I'm saying My Miserables. <laughs> instead of The Miserables, which is the title of Les Miserables, The Miserables. A little bit on the nose, Victor Hugo, a little bit on the nose. So I'm going to call you all Mes Miserables. (laughs) Let's see if that catches on. See if uh, I can sell merch. That's so sad. Sell merch. I got to sell merch. Speaking of, I got to sell merch for this fucking crafts fair. I agreed to do it for it. Cause you know what? I sold a bunch of stuff last year and it was fun. I was just doing crafts and like, I just sold a bunch of shit, but, um, I never feel fully competent in, in the selling of the crafts because like, I just feel like, you know what, they're going to get that home and it's going to like fall apart or something weird's going to happen. And then be like, oh yeah, that girl was a fucking scammer and chuck it in the bin. You know what I mean? Anyway, all this to say is if you want to come to the, (laughs) if you want to come to the Rainbow Reels Holiday Market, 
It's happening at working grounds. What is it called? I'm so bad at promoting things. Fuck, this episode's an hour. My lord. And trying to like edit the music in PS is really hard because um, you have to like split every single, you have to split up every single um, you have to split I'm so sorry I just spaced out so bad trying to find this uh, listing you have to split up every little audio chunk like by hand basically like as if you were using like tiny like little scissors and a tiny little reel like like a cassette tape for I mean a reel to reel tape for a mouse like it's so annoying it's such a terrible interface no offense anchor but it, it, I like the fact that you're trying to let people have that level of control but it's really hard it was very hard for me to do because sometimes it'll just randomly start the clip from the beginning again anyway long story short the music is best when it changes every couple of minutes without be so it's not just fucking not brain numbing and annoying um but it's just too hard to do uh unless you record each clip separately which i don't have the wherewithal to know where this real circular conversation with myself in my car at midnight is going it's twelve forty nine. okay so come to the holiday market 2018 it is happening at fresh ground fresh ground which is 256 king street it King Street, King Street East in Kitchener, which P.S. B.T.W. is the exact location where I had that really great time doing comedy for the Rainbow Rails. So it all comes around full circle. They're a cool vegan cafe. They do a lot of great stuff over there at the uh, at the mar- at the Fresh Ground. Fresh ground, not working grounds. Why do they call it working grounds? Because it is right near and somewhat associated or at least geographically close to a place called the Working Center. Long story short, uh, it is a gay LGBTQI2 plus holiday market and zine fair. And you know what? they make it really accessible for people like me to make weird crafts and show up the day of like completely spattered in paint and glue and be like buy my things and then people are like okay (laughs) (sighs) anyway thanks for listening you're all great be well mes miserables bye bye